This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrogade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear John Waite on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area and you want that authentic arcade experience, head over to The Underground Retrocade. You'll see those rows of classic arcade games, and you'll say... I've been missing you. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm also Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast, starring two of me, apparently. Well, Carrington is just so awesome that I decided that in order to be to get some of that awesomosity, I would also be Carrington. Awesomosity? Yes. I like it. I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. I can make up Carringtons. I can make up words. <laughs> Don't make up Carringtons. <laughs> I will have to fight you Highlander style. Uh, you kill my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. Uh, so what's new? Not a lot. Uh, we played a game, I think, this week. <laughs> we did play a game this week. That's not new, though. We do that every week. Well, no, but every week but one. <laughs> this one is just really forgettable. I mean, not not horrible, but there's... I'm going to talk you into loving it. I'm going, I'm going on record can, right now. Sir. I accept that challenge. By the end of this show, no. Mike loves this game. Not going to happen. <laughs> and by the end of the show, Mike will be able to tell you tons of background info about this game, including how much a cabinet would cost. Because so, we couldn't, we couldn't get find Googling. anything else about it. <laughs> this game is not one that the internet knows much about. <laughs> or cares about. <laughs> Until they find out that it's your favorite game. Then, That's right. So they just need to advertise it as Mike's favorite game, and then everyone will come flocking. Sales will go wild. So I was in, I was in Reno recently. I'm sorry. I was in Reno. <laughs> Are you apologizing that you uh-uh. sent me to Reno? <laughs> On uh, last weekend, Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, I had to be away. First time in my life I've missed Turkey Day. For Reno, no less. For Reno. I had to go down for work. I was in Reno. Are you a big gambler? I I apologize to our Reno listeners. I did Uh not like your city. (laughs) I was not impressed. Are you a big gambler? I am a no, not at all. So there was no appeal then. And in the casino slash hotel I was staying in, there's like a bowling alley and indoor golf things and pools and all of that. But mostly I was interested in there was a huge arcade in there. So I'm like, that. there you go. Okay. And they said with all, all the best of modern and classic games. I'm like, and classic games, you say? Awesome. So I head on down. That. Awful. Just so oh. awful. There was probably 50 games there. 48 of them were things I'd never heard of. They're all like super modern games. I'm like, I don't know what any of these things are. And and half of those were those redemption ticket things for kids, which mm-hmm. I just do not like. And there was a Star Wars trilogy arcade game. So I played a couple of that because I, I dig that game. And then there was a like a, just a main multi-cade. <laughs> so that was – those were the <laughs> classics. So I spent a bunch of time Cheating on the main multi <laughs> so, so I spent a whole bunch of time playing on that. And the game, the game I ended up playing most, it, it was a weird sort of multi-cade that had an odd selection of games. <laughs> um, it was like – and with and a whole bunch of – um, one particular fighter. Like, it was all classic games and like Soul Calibur or something. <laughs> and, and Soul Calibur was on there like nine times with different character sets. I didn't understand. So clearly somebody who works there is really into that game. Um, I did they have this week's game? No, they did not. In fact, I looked for it figuring that would be the perfect way to play, but no, it didn't have this. But it did have um, Satan's Hollow. So I played a whole bunch of Satan's Hollow. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
So if you go to Reno and you go to a really terrible arcade and there's a really terrible high score on Satan's Hollow and, <laughs> and the top 10 of them all have the initial CV, that's me, baby. <laughs> I got all the high scores because <laughs> I'm like the only person who was playing that. All the kids are playing something else and I'm sitting there playing Satan's Hollow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not a great trip. Definitely not worth, worth missing uh, Thanksgiving for. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Or as you would call it, Canadian Thanksgiving. We yeah. just call it Thanksgiving. We call yours armed Thanksgiving. Well, it, it is a big day for, for going out and shooting randomly at things, yes. Right. You might just go out and say, okay, bring on the turkeys. But then so is Tuesday, so. <laughs> so uh, that brings you up to speed with me. That's what's new in Carrington Land. <laughs> okay. Went to Reno, played Satan Solo. <laughs> that was my Thanksgiving. Um, so shall we do some listener things? Let's do listener things. Listener things. Okay. So, in fact, I'm going to refer, I, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts recently. I think Jason Snell's new ones, where he always refers to the listeners as listener, like listener Bobby. I like that. I'm going to try that for this one. So, we've got listener Greg wrote in to say a really long email. Greg yeah, don't do that. Really I don't like long, that when you do that. Really long. I'm going to. Oh, that, that. Not only is it your favorite game, it's your new favorite way for me to talk about our. <sighs> I'm going to talk you into it. It's all about talking you into stuff this week. I'm walking off the show. <laughs> about time. <laughs> Woo, I win the bet. <laughs> like, who, who, okay, who had 105 episodes? <laughs> what was the over-under on Mike leaving it? <laughs> Two years. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, Greg wrote in a, a really long email, great email with a whole bunch of points. I'll have to address them. We can't read the whole thing because it, be, it would be an episode on its own. But made such good points. I want to read a bunch of his email, though, because there's some things I think we should address, not just in writing back to him, but actually on air. So he wrote to say, Hello, users of the sucky Apple II from this superior Commodore user. All right, moving on to the next email. <laughs> Great open, Greg. He says, My name is Greg, and I go by the user, the username Soulblazer on Atari Age. I started listening to your podcast back in late April after I had started working at a new job. This job was different than the last one I was at as it's mostly computer processing work and I'm able to listen to music and podcasts on my phone while I do so. I enjoy retro games as much as modern games. So at first I started checking out some retro gaming podcasts and I soon I found Flack's really good You Don't Know Flack podcast. It was on there that he mentioned yours and I started listening to it also. It took a long time to go through the backlog, even sometimes listening to them at a rate of three a day. I wow. finally just finished a few days ago, catching up on them all, a period of about five months. I really enjoyed the content and presentation of the podcast. The material is always entertaining and well said. And I also like the fact that you've been able to keep up regular updates. But... <laughs> We're, we're getting to the butt soon. Okay. <laughs> I feel I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast. He butters it up nicely, though, I think, to start. <laughs> I feel I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast also, and I enjoy the trips down memory lane on games I've played in the past and checked out games that you covered that I never did. I do have a suggestion slash comment, however. I know the two of you have said numerous times that you're doing all the gaming for the podcast on MAME, as you are trying to replicate the original arcade experience as much as possible. You've also mentioned, correctly, that there are some games that just don't emulate well for one reason or another, usually due to unique controls. That includes Tron, Discs of Tron, Star Wars, and Spy Hunter. I think you guys can use one of the recent emulated versions of this on a modern console or a remade version for the PC or Mac. I play Tron all the time on Xbox Live on my 360, for example, and they map the controls very well to the controller. The left stick moves, the trigger button swings the arm or turns around, and one button fires. If you guys just say that you're using X version of the game so that you can cover it and it's just emulated, or sorry, and it's emulated just like the original arcade game i think it's fair and no one will give you grief over it and it will allow you to cover those games i'm not sure what you two have in terms of consoles though but i'm sure you can find something to work it out 
So, uh, so let's pause there for a bit and address that. So, Mike, what do you think of the idea of us doing something? We say, you know, we're going to play the Xbox version and and just play it on a regular controller that way. So you mean lying to our listeners? And no, we would be upfront, just like he says, and say, look, this is we want to review the game, and the and the the graphics are basically the same, but the control system is going to be very different, and we'll play it that. Because I'm really okay lying to the, the listeners about. <laughs> See, well, I think that was your suggestion. Well, I got it. Okay. Um, for me, the controls are too much a part of the game that I want to talk about, that it would not be the experience I want. If we went and played Tron on, say, Xbox Live, I would probably really love it. But even after having done the show and reviewed it and talked about it, I would feel like it was incomplete because... I mean, I wish we were playing all these on actual cabinets. If I had an arcade here in Toronto, if there was one anywhere, I would go to it for all of our games if I could. And I, I just can't. There isn't one locally. And you're way too lazy to do that. So that leaves us both out. Um, but for me, if we, if we did Xbox Live version of Tron, it would be too far removed from the real experience that I'm, I'm looking to, to, to experience and to review and to talk about. So I don't think it would, it would resonate for me. It wouldn't be as fun for me, I think. And all that really matters is that. <laughs> but what's your take on it? Well, I don't have any consoles, so that's... None? I have... You live um, in like a wasteland? What are you, a savage? Pretty much, yeah. yeah I got all nothing. the consoles. Uh, I, I finally finally um, set the old Dreamcast out to pasture the other, the other week. Oh, what happened and, to it? Um, I just got tired of looking at it. Oh, okay, you don't <laughs> play much? Uh, well, I did, and... and when we moved, I, I never got to set it up, and it was taking up shelf space, and, and so it was time to time to go and give it a new home, and I did, and, and the person that got it really enjoyed it, and that's awesome, so it was great to see that. Um, but I, So I don't have any consoles, and, and in fact, I guess if I were going to do something like that, I'd, I'd almost rather just you know, watch, watch YouTube play, uh, video plays of the game that we wanted to talk about, uh, and at least that way I can see the game in action. I, my concern about the the... the consoles and and the ports and things is that you know how far away are we getting from the original code here you know obviously that if there's a bug uh in tron somewhere and and in the original arcade game and it's it's fixed in the xbox version of it you know what kind of experience are we talking about here it's i i like where he's going with that i i don't know that playing console ports and 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 remakes is is the answer I agree with you on that. I hadn't really thought of that angle, but it is the case that, yeah, when we play, when you're playing in MAME, you are playing a dump of the ROM. Um, so you're literally playing the actual game that we're looking to talk about because we're talking about the classic arcade games and we'll mention later versions. And it's true that, that MAME doesn't emulate 100% of the ROMs 100%, you know. So even even though you have some of these ROMs, you're missing stuff and, and we'll talk about that in feature this week's game, for instance. in this week's yes. game, but, <laughs> Good point. but I, I still think I still think playing it this way is closer than than Xbox Live. I agree. Like, I'd I'd love to hear what our listeners think because, like, you know, we do the show for us and kind of you know screw them, but still, <laughs> it well, yeah. would still be interest. I would be interested in getting some feedback. Like, would people would, for instance, like if it made if if it meant the difference between we're not going to review Tron. For instance, that's a game. I want to do Tron, Discs of Tron, Star Wars, and Spy Hunter, all of those. But we're probably not going to get to those 
maybe we'll do all four of those, but it might take the next year and a half to get to all four of them. It's going to take, because when we get together or when we go to someplace where there's an arcade, we can seek out one or two of these games, play them, get our scores, do our notes, do our review. But that's not going to come up very often. Like a, maybe four or five times a year at most, we're going to be able to play these sorts of games. So it'll take a long time to get to them. Or is it better to say, look, you guys are always playing these games that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> Bring forward some of the ones everybody does know and wants to hear about, but you're going to have to play non-exact versions like you know very very faithful ports like say maybe you couldn't even tell looking at them but slightly different but they would be the xbox live version or the playstation versions um i'd like to hear some listener feedback see what what people would say not that i'll be swayed by it but i'd like to hear (laughs) (laughs) so uh listener greg goes on to say also if i could please add these to games to your list to cover if they're not already on there as these are all faves of mine time pilot tron discs of tron star trek sos akari warriors and time warriors i suspect they're all on our list or they should be so i will make sure that they are well he's already been banned for being a commodore user so he's unbanned and then rebanned <laughs> okay. you gotta let him in listen to this bit and then go. sure why not um so then he goes on a couple of other really good points i think and stuff we should talk about so he says i've been listening to a lot of retro gaming podcasts over the last few months and while i've enjoyed most of them i also get the impression that a lot of the hosts and people are shall we say close-minded i totally understand and love the passion for classic games i enjoy them also and i play them a lot on emulation i've also been a gamer as opposed to a collector and play in emulation as the only gaming console i currently own is the xbox 360 if i tried to be a collector i'd be broke but because i've always been a gamer and been gaming on the latest and greatest all during the years as well as the classic stuff i'm very open-minded something that seems a lot of other retro gamers are not there seems to be an old man get off my lawn mentality when it comes to new games and new systems and i don't get it there's nothing wrong with enjoying your favorite games but times are always changing and there's always new things coming out regardless of if it's a brand new game on a new system or a remake of a classic game or a kickstarter for someone looking to make a 16-bit shooter i encourage classic gamers not to be stuck in the past they should try out modern games check out some of the wonderful stuff being made thanks to kickstarter or some of the unique stuff on steam or the latest AAA titles and see why everyone is raving about it with so much stuff out there being made by indie developers on mobile platforms for the consoles on pc mac i can promise you they will find something that they enjoy not to mention many systems of homebrew games being made for them they are truly wonderful games being made out there and you never know what you might find that you will enjoy so mike what say you now i'm not thinking that on this podcast we should open up and start talking about non-classic things because this is after all the classic arcade podcast (laughs) so it's kind of outside of our wheelhouse so we start talking about things from the 2000s but do you find in general that we and our retro gaming ilk maybe in particular say retro gaming podcasters do we have the old man get off my lawn mentality i think it's easy to become Set in your patterns and and, and not like necessarily. When you play Pac-Man, yeah, pretty much, yeah. When you you know you got what you like and your life is ordered and and organized and nice and these are the things that I'm going to play and I'm not going to look at these other games and and you can live that way I guess and a lot of us do. I don't know that it's a universal thing. I for a long time was a, a PC gamer uh, for you know first on Apple II and then um, up until. Just recently, I guess, I had a couple of bad experiences on, on games that I paid a lot of money for, and I said, eh, I think I'm kind of done with this for now. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I And and I'm not a console gamer because, and and I will 
geez, I never do this, but I will acknowledge one of my flaws on the air. And that's that I was never able to, to master the, um, thumb pad that always seemed counterintuitive to me. And, um, the addition of all the extra buttons and directions just sort of anytime I tried to play a game like that, uh, became frustrating. I was just pushing buttons and see what happens and, and oh, I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's probably because I didn't start with a Nintendo, which had one of those, the Apple II joysticks were, you know, the stick and, um, two, maybe two buttons, maybe two buttons, maybe more if you, if you got fancy. Um, so the, fancy. the simple controls were sort of what stuck with me and I was never able to, to advance beyond that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, again, this is a, being a, a classic arcade game podcast that tends to be what we talk about, but, um, I certainly reach out when I can and play other games and I, I don't know that, um, geez, I, I guess I just don't listen to enough other retro gaming podcasts to really notice a, a big prejudice, but I'm sure it's there. I listen to them. We're definitely the best of them. (laughs) Of course we are. It has you. Uh, I would think that we have, I think, demonstrated a version of being open-minded in that we're constantly reviewing games we've never heard of before, and we found some real gems that we love. So we're open-minded in at least broadening our reviews and what we're playing beyond the classics that we know. We're searching for other classics, and we're, we're, we're sticking on this podcast to classic titles because, well, we're a classic arcade podcast. Um, but when you're old enough and you've gamed enough you kind of see like the same games keep coming back. And like, if I love a game, I won't always be open to the remake because remakes are just like sort of remade movies. And often if you all, if you love the original, like why are you doing this again just to make it slightly different? And it's rare that a remake will grip somebody who loves the original. And a lot of games, if they're not a direct remake, like a modern game can often be like, I'll play it and go, yeah, I played this before. In, in 1983, it was called this. And it, this is just a different version of the same game. Because there's only so many themes. And it's not like there's nothing new under the sun. But the same tropes come up and the same ideas and the same mechanics come up over and over and over again. So you get to the point where you've kind of seen it all. And you think, well, I'd rather play the version I know and like versus drop 60 or $80 on a new game that hopefully I'll like. Um, modern gaming is also quite expensive compared to classic gaming. So, like, the systems are expensive and the games until you get into used or one generational can be, can be very pricey. I can get a whole bunch of retro gaming for the cost of one AAA modern games. Well, yeah, and, and the price thing is especially, it's less, I think, a concern for uh, the console gamers who you, you buy the Xbox and then you buy the games, but you're set on the hardware for a couple of years until the next generation comes out with the, with windows. Um, if you're a windows P and PC gamer, you end up, you, you get caught in this cycle where you're, you're having to buy a new video card every 18 months to support the latest stuff that you want to play. And the video cards are not cheap, especially because the games tend to be the things that push those cards the hardest. And so they're, they're expensive and they're, you know, they require bigger power supplies and new motherboards. And it becomes this really kind of, pricey cycle that you get caught in. And I will say that I, I, I don't miss that part of, of PC gaming. And as a, uh, me too, being historically a, more of a PC gamer, especially when it comes to like FPSs, um, I never got the idea of doing a first person shooter with a controller. Like I'm a mouse and keyboard guy. I don't even understand why kids today want to do this. And I'm like, what? No platformers. Yes. FPS. No. 
But all of that said, the reality is I it might be less closed-mindedness and more that you know what you like. And the older you get, like when I was 16, I was fundamentally the same guy that I am now. You look in the mirror and go, why am, why am I older? I still feel like the same kid. Everybody always feels like that same person. But you also get to know from experience the stuff you like. It isn't the case that I have to try everything. Try it. You don't know if you like it. You know what? I've tried a lot. And I can tell some things I won't like without having to try them now. And that's not necessarily close-mindedness. That just comes from the experience. I've played countless thousands of games in my life. And there's the things that I know that I like. And there's a certain period of games that have an aesthetic appeal to me. And the classic games from the 80s have a nostalgic resonance. But also have an aesthetic and a general mechanic to them and and sort of a, a shared world and a shared type of a sort of like feeling of gaming that really appeals to me. And it's the reason I do a classic arcade, game pod, classic arcade podcast is because I like that kind of game. I like modern stuff too. I'm, I'm loving um, uh, a Wasteland 2 right now, playing through it and digging it huge. But that's really like a throwback game. Um, but in general, you know, I like standing in front of an arcade game, dropping in a quarter, and the sounds and experiences of that. So get off my lawn. And, con- and congratulations, Greg, for getting us to talk about modern gaming for like 20 minutes. <laughs> See, there's that. <laughs> so Greg Greg wins this round. Well played, Greg. <laughs> so anyway, I thought it was a really good letter. I thought he That's brought up good. some really good points. And, and the best kind of criticism, I love that kind of thing, because it wasn't really criticism, but really addressed some good thoughts and, and really made me think from his letter. That's why I really wanted to read a bunch of it, because I, I really liked that letter. And I thought he brought up good points that were well made. And the great thing about the letter is that he's given us so much content that we can go back to it when we're short we just on keep coming on back because honestly, it's, listeners, it's, we read like a quarter of that email. No, and I'm not I'm not criticizing. It's, it was it's awesome. great. It's really great stuff. All of it is. It's we didn't have time to mention it. So I, I would like to mention that um, Soul Blazer also went uh, onto the uh, Two Worthy Video Game Podcasts thread on Atari Age and mentioned that he sent us feedback. So. Here's your mention, Soul Blazer. We saw your your feedback. We talked about it, and we saw your post on Atari Age. We don't understand why Atari Age is nice to us. Yeah, best not to question that. <laughs> why? Why are you guys nice to us? No, it's a hardcore shh, gaming place. Quiet. Where people no, who know no. what they're doing. We don't know what Just we're doing. Just accept it. We're a bunch of softies. I don't understand. I mean, I appreciate it, but I don't understand why they don't just rip us a new one every week. <laughs> but. Because I really like Atari Age. So like, I admire it, and I don't understand why they're enjoying our show. <laughs> I expect in a week or two, we will, we will see Post telling us exactly what's wrong we with our show. The bear. Okay. Why we should so, feel bad about ourselves. Let's go on to others. Listener Monty. Oh, yeah, Mike, I'm keeping it up. Listener Monty wrote to say, Finally, a new Star Wars arcade game from one of my favorites. Bandai and Namco. I thought you would love this news. Keep up the great show, guys. And he sent us a link to a Polygon article about Star Wars returning to the arcade with a Star Wars Battle Pod. Cool looking game. Not really retro, but hey, look, Greg, we're talking about a modern one. <laughs> so I'm excited that there's a new Star Wars arcade game. And I get it's because Star Wars is, you know, in the air because new movies are coming. Looked like a cool game, but it also looked like one of the... It, I think it's a game that suffers from the same problems that Laserdisc games suffer from, where there's that lack of agency. Like, you're flying this thing, but it's clearly you're not... I'm looking at the video of it. You're not really flying, because it looks like a film, and there's no way that's an actual open world. So, I think it's more that it's on rails, and you get to move a little bit, where you're just moving sort of your aiming. And those kind of games get old for me, because it's too much on rails. But I'm excited about Star Wars game. 
Um, listener Siobhan, and yes, Siobhan, I do know how to pronounce your name. She wrote in to say, I don't know if you've heard yet, but Anne Post will soon issue a series of four game icons postage stamps. There will be one each for Space Invaders, Pac-Man, Mario, and Sonic the Hedgehog. It's nice that these stamps commemorate some truly classic arcade games and also Sonic. <laughs> I kid, I kid, but not really. Speaking of Space Invaders, did you ever notice that a huge number of 80s arcade games have the word space in their title truly massive right so did you realize that you've done over 100 episodes and you haven't reviewed any of them no space invaders no space duel no computer space no space fortress no space fury not even space ace are you afraid of space are you space chickens if there was a game called space chickens would you review it so my submission for a game to review is space invaders or maybe space chickens either will do Awesome. Thank you, Siobhan. She sent in a link to, um, I think it's an article over on thejournal.ie, so in Ireland, uh, the journal, about the postage stamps. If you guys want to go over there, we'll have a link in the show notes so you can take a look at the four stamps. I like the uh, Space Invaders one in particular. I would like that stamp. I keep thinking now of the um, uh, Michael (laughs) Michael J. Fox's portrayal of Marty McFly in, um, was it Back to the Future? Back to the Future. Three? Was it the second one where they went forward in time? Yeah, and it just the nobody calls me chicken line. Uh, or space yeah. chicken. That's Or space chicken. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else we got? Egan, oh, sorry. Listener Egan wrote in to say... Listener data jerk. <laughs> he wrote in just to say, easy. Perhaps you should make a difficult one. What was he referring to? He was referring to a, um, a over on The Guardian... Uh, they had a quiz. It says, quiz, can you identify these classic arcade games? And it's screenshots from 10 classic arcade games. I did it. I scored 10 out of 10. He is right. It's remarkably easy. Uh, it says, my, my message guy was, congratulations, you beat the average score of five for this quiz. I I shake my head that average would be five. Like, if you were randomly guessing, you'd probably get five out of 10. Um, crazy that the average was five. What is wrong with people? Because these were not subtle games. These were like, this was not going deep catalog at all. Um, but a fun quiz. So we'll have a link in the show notes. And maybe we should make a more difficult one. Maybe that's the next time we give away a prize. Maybe we should make like a really difficult quiz online. Maybe you should do all the work about that, Mike. <laughs> Listener listener pete wrote in to say hello podcasting people just wanted to alert you and your listeners of a donkey kong contest taking place on reddit between the subreddits of retro battle stations retro gaming and game collecting you need to choose one of those as your team and submit your score pretty much any platform is open season so you also give us a link to both the official rules and a link to his post with an early score which was I think 47,300 that he scored on an Atari 800XL. So that kind of brings us back to what Greg had written about, like playing on other platforms and other versions. So if you're into Donkey Kong, and come on, who isn't, then head over to, to Reddit and you know pick your one of your three teams, sign up and start submitting scores. Kind of, kind of a fun way to do a little contest, I thought. So we have links to all that in the show notes. Um, let's do two more. Listener Avi, I just I like saying listener. Listener Avi said, love the podcast. Thanks for all the great episodes so far. Can't wait for you to talk about my favorite game, Mortal Kombat. Just kidding, but put me down for a vote for Mr. Do. A while back, you had another listener write in to discuss his homebrew arcade cabinet build, which was going to feature a rotating monitor. 
I don't know if this video is of his cabinet or not, but here's an arcade cabinet with exactly that kind of setup. Keep up the great podcasting. I found out about No Quarter because I'm a longtime fan of Double Click, although I generally agree with Sherry's take on the movies. Sorry. Oh, Abby, you, you cut me deep. Um, so we'll have a link in the show notes to that. It's, uh, there's, um, and it's exactly, you know, it does what it says on the tin. This guy has a, or girl, I don't know, it doesn't show who it is, has a monitor mounted in there and it's it's basically it's on a wheel and there's a, a little gear on the bottom and you can press a button and it rotates the monitor between horizontal and vertical so it it, it matches the aspect ratio for the game you want to play pretty cool i thought i dug it and then it not only it rotates the monitor and then it also changes the setting to tell it hey you now have this kind of monitor so it just it automatically rotates the display properly and everything yeah it's really really nice so we'll have a link in the show notes and the nice thing i'll link to that video but if you go look at it you should back up a step and look at that person's um, videos in general because they not just have that video we'll link to is the final one, but he has a few other videos that show it being built. So you can see like a video short one from behind it and you can see how the mechanism works. So if you want to build something like that yourself, make sure you look at the other videos as well. Uh, last one, listener Karen. Her first name actually is listener. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Karen wrote in to say, there's a good article in the current Retro Gamer magazine about the making of Stern's classic game Berserk. I think it's something your listeners would be interested in. I think so too. So we will link to that. It's uh, in issue 47 of Retro Gamer magazine. And they have most of the article uh, on the website. So you can check it out for free and see if you want want grab the, the the actual magazine and read the rest so it's the making of berserk in issue 47 the one with the elite on the cover Ooh, pretty pictures very pretty pictures uh i think that's enough for feedback because we're like an hour in if you're wondering <laughs> why we've rambled on for what feels like 90 minutes now with uh, feedback not that we don't love every each and every email that we get from you guys but that's because this week's game is no man's land a game from universal in 1980 um, that we just don't have that much to say about neither it's does anyone no else. no info land. Yeah. <laughs> the internet does not know much about this game. Yeah, it's a it's a tank game. I, I, we know that much. Um, so. A lackluster tank game is what most people, most reviews <laughs> call it a lackluster tank. They use that exact word every time, well, lackluster. I think, that's, I think that's fairly accurate. You start I out don't at, think so. I like this game. You don't? I do. Just tell me how much you don't like this game. I don't, first of all, I told you I'm going to talk you into well, it. Well, that didn't mean you don't. It <laughs> doesn't mean that you like it. I do like it. So the way this works is uh, you destroy enemy tanks that are coming after you by maneuvering your own tank with a control stick, firing your tank cannon with a fire button, and you get score. But you, get, you, you run up your score by, guess what, destroying the other enemy tanks. Uh, you can move pew, in... Pew, pew, pew are the noises pew? you make. Exactly. You can move and fire in eight directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but your enemy can't. They can right. only move and fire in, in the cardinal four direction, so that it's, gives you an advantage. Seems patently unfair to me, but... Well, they're a lot faster than you. <laughs> there is so, that, yes. And they're, they're a lot more numerous as well, so you need some advantage. And every time you destroy a tank, there is a, a reserve tank at the top of the screen that uh, that is alerted of the destruction, comes to life, and comes after you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so there's basically active tanks and parked tanks. on the, there's, a, there's like a river dividing it, and I guess above there is the no man's land. I guess that's why it's called that. I don't know. It doesn't really look like a river. i got to say the graphics for the river, that's a pretty bad graphic. <laughs> it's this weird thing. I'm like, what is that supposed to be? But when you cross the bridges, you can go up there, and there's, there's these little slots. Kind of like they, they look like the... the in Frogger, like the little areas that your frog can try to get to, but there's a whole bunch of them, like a little tank parking lot. And it'll start with, you know, X number of tanks up there in reserve, ready to come alive as you shoot the active ones. The um, the river graphic, as you were describing it, I just, I remember thinking how much it looked like uh, a section of the force field in Yars Revenge. 
Totally. Um, that's yes. Other than a little less pixelated, but it, right. but it, it's like a stripey version of exactly that. And I think it works well as a force field, but doesn't work so well as a river graphic. Yeah. So let's just call it what it is. It's a force field. Force so field by, with, with holes in it. <laughs> Very bad force fields. <laughs> you can uh, penetrate the reserve tank positions and destroy them, and that gives you bonus points that we'll talk about in just a second here. Um, as the number of reserve tanks decreases, either because they come out to replace ones you've destroyed or you got them while they were sleeping, the speed of the assaulting tanks increases. So it, oh, it's, okay. So it's it's based on the number of reserve tanks. Yes. I figured it was just based on the number of tanks, period. I did find th- things were getting faster, but I didn't know that if you were shooting the reserves, you're sort of speeding things up even quicker. Because I, for the most part, would go for those reserves because that's the way to get the high score. Yeah, well, that's definitely the, the advantage, although I, you do have to be careful that, that – um, um, if one of the assaulting tanks gets up to you and you're up in the, the area where the reserve tanks are and you destroy it, uh, the one probably closest to you, the reserve tank closest to you, will come to life and immediately shoot you. Oh, it seemed to um, always be the case. Uh, it's supposed <laughs> to be random, but it seemed to always be if you shoot one of those active tanks while you're up in front of the parking lot, yeah. the one facing right at you will say, oh, why, why don't I wake up and start shooting? It's, oh. I think I think there was definitely some, some evil intent going yeah. on. There. It didn't it always happen, random. but it happened enough that it didn't feel like random. Uh, your score progresses increasing. I'm sorry. Your score progressively increases as the number of screens cleared increases. So, um, and and as we said, when you destroy a reserve tank, you get double double the points as as when you hit the assaulting tank. And uh, the the points go up uh, from from uh, and this is from the manual that I'm looking at right now that you can find on archive.org. Uh, up to they have points values listed for up to eight screens. Then and. It looks like they go up for assaulting tanks. It starts at 100 and they go up by 50 points. So by by screen eight, you're getting 450 points per assaulting tank. And then for the reserves, they go up because it's doubled by 100 points. So it goes from 200 to 900. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah, and that's the the reason why you want to hit those reserve tanks, the parked ones, because they're always worth twice the points of any act. Like on any given screen, the reserve ones are worth twice the points of an active tank. And they're also not shooting back at you. <laughs> so if you can, and, and I like the fact that the, the active tanks down in the bottom half, where really there's just like, there's that river dividing it, where it's like a top third above the river. That's the parking lot area. And there's kind of an open area below the, the river slash force field that has two trees with green leaves and blue trunks. <laughs> so interesting color schemes. So there's two trees you can kind of use for cover and everything else is open. Um, but the active tanks don't move around randomly. And I like that. There is some very, it was 1980, so it's very rudimentary, but there is some logic to them that they are actively trying to seek you out. But because of that, you can lure them down. You can go down to the corner and they'll kind of generally come toward you. And then you can race to get out from them and race up to the top and you'll have a little while before the, the active tanks can get up to you and you start blowing away the, the park tank. So it did feel like not random, like the, there was a bit of strategy involved in, in playing, which I like. It wasn't just an active shooter. Yeah, there's there's definitely, um, I, don't, I don't know if it was an AI necessarily, but certainly it wasn't just the deterministic turn and fire that you see with some some shoot and chase games uh, that we've played in the past. So there there's, it's definitely challenging and it does get, you know, it gets very hard very quickly yeah. because uh, you're so fast. So, so fast. The, yeah. You're, you're basically, you're on the same play field the entire game that that never changes. And so uh, it's not like you have to learn uh, that you don't have, you don't face the challenges of, of learning new maps or, or the best places to hide in, in this new level. So, uh, the entire challenge is is the speed and ferocity of the tanks that come after you. And, and I also found it ramps up wrong, really I th- quick. I think your 
it's so because it ramps up so fast it's hard to even see the details but like it's not like your shots go super far either like you you have a limited range can't shoot across the whole screen so i like that it's more like you're lobbing missiles out um but it seemed as you go on that your tank shoots less far and their tanks start shooting further it is or farther so that's what it seemed it seemed to be but everything's moving so quickly it was kind of hard to tell but i felt like that was another advantage they were getting in addition to speed they were starting to get more and more range that's what it felt like yeah it's and and ultimately there's you know not a lot of strategy to it it's just shooting and avoiding you know it becomes a a numbers game and they will catch up to you eventually it's just how good you are at avoiding and and popping them off oh i'm good I'm not that good. Uh, I don't think either of us were very good at it. Uh, the game was uh, engineered by Universal um, in 1980 and licensed to Gottlieb for distribution. Um, ArcadeHistory.com is showing me that it was released in April of 1980. Uh, and the game feels like about 1980. Um, we were looking to try to see if this was Gottlieb's first um, video game because they were really a pinball manufacturer before this. And it's hard to tell. Like a lot of sites on the net have copied each other with the exact same wording from a paragraph. And some have one version of a paragraph and some have a shorter version of a paragraph. So clearly somebody plagiarized from somebody and then everybody just started copying. <laughs> two, two, and I don't know which one's canonical. So some of them say that this was Gottlieb's first lackluster shooter. And some say that New York, New York was Gottlieb's first lackluster shooter. And it's hard to tell if the one added bits to a sentence or the one copied it and removed bits from the sentence so i don't know and i can't find anything of what month in in 1980 new york new york was released so this may or may not be their first game regardless of which was first though it's safe They're to say both that both of them were lackluster games <laughs> uh, we reviewed new york, except new york. this one which you love yes well we reviewed new york new york a while back and and i i just remember like the ship flying through buildings. That was a bad game. And the, the collision detection was really terrible and it just felt and unpolished. And the big floating and, um, Statue of Liberty in uh, space. Right, yeah. That unless was a, unless that you was had a the Japanese game. version. <laughs> now, let's, we should talk about the music of this game. The, the incredible um, sound in this game. I didn't notice much sound in this game, frankly. <laughs> incredible, incredible sound. And that's the thing. So there's this music that plays at the beginning, which is what we used for the sound sample in last week's show, mm-hmm. and it was basically the only sounds played for the entire game. There's this little bit for the music. But in reading a review or sort of a, a discussion of the game from somebody who actually has a cabinet, and holy cow, almost nobody has one of these cabinets. This sucker is rare. Not you know, necessarily valuable, just there aren't any of them. <laughs> um, that person mentioned how the game has that music that plays at the beginning, and that during the level, there's sort of an ongoing song that's kind of like a Jaws tune that speeds up as things get oh, faster. Okay. That didn't play for me in either version of the ROM yeah, I had. I, I didn't hear and anything. And your tank is supposed to make noise when it moves. Like there's a low rumble, but also it's supposed to sound like like screws and things are coming off it. Like there's a metallic oh, wow. rattle too, which would have been fun. But those are not played in, in either of the ROMs that I have, the Gottlieb one or the, the Universal one for uh, Europe. Yeah, so we were missing out on the, some of the sounds in this game, which I think would have added to it. Well, it's probably a case of uh, somebody on the, the main dev team just hasn't gotten to cleaning it up yet and improving the emulation. And based on the interest that we're seeing around the internet, this game, that's never going to happen. Well, the manual, like you can read about the, the bits inside the manual, uh, or the, the bits inside the cabinet mechanically, what runs it. But looking at the schematics, it's a game that seems to straddle the bridge between 
um, like using CPUs for everything and earlier games that would use discrete logic. And this looks like a board that includes some discrete logic stuff. Like it's an odd, oddly wired up board. And it was hard to tell from the schematic what's going on there at a, at a casual glance. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's something weird with the music generation that simply wasn't in like the ROM dump is calling for something that isn't emulated in, in, in main yet or something. Hmm. So I think well, what's going on there. Well, speaking of that, uh, the main CPU is a Z80 at uh, 1.8026 megahertz. Uh, the sound chip is listed as a DAC, at, also at 1.8026 megahertz. Okay, so it does have a DAC. Yep. Uh, nothing else, um, which is sort of surprising if if there is. I mean, if you look, like you said, you look through that manual, there's a huge number of parts on that soundboard in there. Yep. So I'm sure there's more to it than that. It's a two-player so game, uh, eight-way joystick, one well, button. Well, it's two-player or one at a time. Though. Right, so yeah, I, alternating, two-player alternating. Yeah, not real two-player. Um, eight-way joystick, one button to fire, uh, and an eight-color palette, which would explain the ugliness of the, the river and some other parts of the game. The main, for me, the colors only really are let down on the blue trunks of the trees, which isn't that bad, but kind of like weird-looking. They could have gone with a darker red or something, um, but it's that river. It's that distractingly weird-looking river. Because yeah. I thought the tank graphics themselves with their little comb-like wheels, I thought those were totally acceptable. I always knew which way I was facing. I knew which way my turret went. And I liked the look of the wheels as they kind of move and alternate. I thought it was a really effective graphic for the for the um, tanks. And I like the fact that it's, 19, it's an early 1980 game, and yet it's in color. And not color like those overlays that go over a screen, like an <laughs> actual color video game. So I yeah. give it points for that, too. Yeah, it certainly feels like a 1980 game, though. And... The screen resolution uh, was only uh, 192 by 256 pixels, so not not great at all compared to 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 what would come later, and even some of the games that were were released at the same time. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's I guess like you said, the, the graphics were serviceable. You could you never were in doubt as to where you were, what was going on on the screen, or where you're facing, or anything like that. But you know, there's just nothing else to them. Kind of like this whole game. Um, it was sort of law. <laughs> Uh, I what like about the, this game so much more than you. <laughs> what about the cabinet, Carrington? It's awesome. Actually, no, it's pretty basic. <laughs> so <laughs> there's the two models, like we talked about. There's the North American model of cabinet. It's basically the Gottlieb version, and it's your standard Gottlieb cab. So it's a black cabinet. The only side art is that big orange starburst with the Gottlieb logo in it that Gottlieb liked to do on the early cabs. Uh, front of the cab, the coin door is like this big metal door, like big shiny metal. I'm not sure if it's aluminum or stainless steel or whatever, but it's like a very large looking coin door. Um, and uh, oh, and down by the kick plate art, it's got that same Gottlieb starburst they stuck on the bottom too, but you know, try to pretty it up a little bit. Uh, marquee is pretty basic. Uh, just got the orange No Man's Land logo over over a blue and green art of a tank battle. And there's artwork on the control panel that basically is dividing it into three sections. So like you said, uh, there's the fire button. That's on the left in its own little square sort of of the art. Center, there's the joystick, which is labeled tank control. And on the right, there's the another section kind of divided up to be a, a – and that has the two buttons for player one start and player two start and I think some basic instructions bezel has some little starburst graphics on as well like little explosions so kind of basic but they did try to pretty it up with a bit of graphics the european model is slightly different the shape's more like a, a traditional pac-man cabinet uh and the front and the sides instead of being black they're that fake wood grain veneer which i really like <laughs> like it's one of the few things in where i really like wood veneer is uh-huh. I, I like it on old arcade games uh-huh. uh, but again except for the the coin door which is again big shiny metal plate <laughs> so i'm like what's with these coin doors um the the oh and the control panel on that version is that same silvery shiny metal with a little instruction plate on the on the left side of it in fact because the instructions 
or, or mount on the left side the the joystick is not centered so it's a it's a single joystick game with buttons on either side but the joystick is sort of moved over to the right so it implies that it's not well i guess it's not ambidextrous because the the fire button's on the left but it's weird that the the joystick it, it kind of looks off center because of the design but it's i like the shininess of the control panel um another difference though i noticed between the cabs just reading through the manuals for them is the dip switch settings they're programmed slightly differently with the gottlieb cab being basically the more difficult version of the game. So in North America with Gottlieb, there's a dip switch that sets like how many tanks you get to start with. It come, it defaults to three, but you can change the dip switch to give the person only two. Um, and for there's another pair of dip switches to set like what bonus, what points you got to get at to get a bonus tank. And it can be set to 3,000, 5,000, or 8,000. And the middle, 5,000 is the bonus point, is the default. So for the European cab, the same dip switches exist, but the ROM is programmed for easier settings. Instead of selecting between two or three starting tanks, it selects between three or five. So three is the default, or you can make it easier and give people more tanks. Same thing with the bonus life setting. Like they're skewed towards an easier game in the European cab. For the bonus life score, instead of selecting between... Uh, what was it for Gottlieb? For uh, uh, 3,000, 5,000, or 8,000, you select between 2,000, 3,000, or 5,000. And 3,000 is the default. So it's already defaults at the at lower than the Gottlieb. And in fact, at the easiest the Gottlieb can get, but you can bring it all the way down to two. So um, by default, the European cabs just set for more starting tanks, lower barrier for extra tanks, um, and it just has available settings that can make it even easier. So, And I haven't really seen that kind of difference in other games. So it's kind of weird that Europe just got an easier game than North America. We played the hard version, I think. Actually, I think I played the easy version. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll claim to play the hard version if it gets my higher score. Excellent. Yes, you do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll start with a handicap or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so is this is this something I can just rush out and buy? I mean, we couldn't find any information about the no. game itself. Are the boards out there? Are the cabinets? A couple of boards were, have been listed on eBay and didn't sell. They were listed cheap, like listed for like 150 bucks, but didn't sell. They were just like the person would say they're not available. You look on Clove, three people say they have one. Like one guy's got a board, two people have non-working cabinets. One person says he's looking for cabinets. Like they're just not out there. There, I did find a website where one person talks about having one of these cabs. Like a friend of his had it. It was left out in the rain. He was forced to sell it by his mom or something. And he's the guy. she hated it. Yeah, because <laughs> he's the guy who mentions the other sounds, the stuff that we weren't hearing. But other than there being some photos of the, the cab out there and lots of copies of the flyers and the manuals, and we'll link to those in the show notes, um, nobody sells this it hasn't come up for auction it's a remarkably unavailable cap like it's rare in the sense that there just aren't any of them which doesn't mean that it's necessarily valuable or people are just dying to get their hands on it mikesarcade.com is a great site for you know listing specific very specific electronic information about different versions of of boards and, and arcade games and if you go into the Gottlieb video system boards, uh, almost all, you know, they've got the, the GG3 and a few of the others. And and for, for No Man's Land and New York, New York, it just is question marks next to it. It says uh, Gottlieb <laughs> games that are not part of the system. So we don't actually know. And, and it, it makes sense, I guess, because these weren't developed by Gottlieb. But um, I, I, I don't know. It just feels like this is probably one of those games that showed up in arcades and was there for maybe four to six weeks until it stopped making the quarters and then it was replaced by something else. I find it interesting though, the difference between the settings available for Europe and the Gottlieb version for North America. And I wonder 
Is it that the is Universal knew American arcade owners wanted a harder game, or did Gottlieb request it, or because so just they went to the effort of setting different defaults and things in the ROM, and then letting the dip switches select for them? So I found that interesting, and I don't remember seeing that in another cap. Yeah, it's certainly um, certainly odd, and, and at least if you're if you're solely sticking to the internet for your sources of information, like we tend to do, uh, there's just nothing out there. And, you know, Oh, the internet. <laughs> oh, internet, how we love you. <laughs> um, I, overall, I, it's not a horrible game. It's certainly, I don't think it was even as bad as New York, New York. It was just sort of blah, forgettable. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll eat some of this cotton candy and 20 minutes later, I'll have forgotten I, I ate it because there's no nutritional value found. For me, it is way better than New York, New York, which I thought was okay, but not a very good game at all. If I if I recall, not a game I'd come back to. This game, on the other hand, I really liked playing. There's certain games. I mean, it's so big. It's the same level. Like you said, it's the same level over and over again. But so is Space Invaders. I mean, essentially, so is Pac-Man. All of the mazes change, so there's more variety there. But a lot of early games that I really like were really just the same game, but it gets faster. That's Pac-Man. That's Space Invaders. That's this game. I don't think it's a Space Invaders level of classic, but for me, at least it's fresh. And I really, I actually really liked it. Like I like tank type games. I always loved combat on the Atari 2600. And this is like getting to play combat, but you don't have to try to talk your sister into doing it. So like <laughs> I was, I, I, I dug it. I, I didn't like the graphics of the, the river, but I liked the graphics of the tank and it, and reading about the sounds made me wish I was playing the version with the sound. If I can find a version of this cabinet in an arcade, like if they've got this at um, at Funspot or something, I'm totally going to drop quarters in it. I'm totally going to play it. And I actually would like to have this cabinet. I mean, I would, it's not something I drop a thousand. Like I want a Discs of Tron environmental more than I want this. But if I was putting together a, a collection of 25 cabs, I would completely consider having this among it. There's something about this game that I really dug. Maybe it won't hold up over time. Maybe if I keep playing it you know, three months from now, I'll be like, I hate that game. But for now, I really like it, and I highly recommend our listeners to try it. Funny you should mention availability in arcades. Uh, way back when in the dark ages of this podcast, we mentioned a site called ArcadeFly where uh, users can come and, and post sightings of uh, cabinets and, and where uh, which arcade they're in so you can go play for yourself if you're so interested in finding a particular um, cabinet. And No Man's Land is listed in zero arcades, and no one has it on their favorites list. So when I get mine and I open up an arcade, people are going to come here like crazy. I will be first, second, and third in line. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I welcome all three of you. <laughs> that one in the middle looks shifty, though. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, sorry, I, I don't get get why you like this game as much as you do. It's, I have taste. It's <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> anyway, it's nuance. I'm picking up on the nuance. <laughs> There's no nuance in this game. That's part of the problem. Is that you mentioned the repetitive play and, and how that can be a good thing, uh, especially in those early games. It, and for whatever, for whatever reason, this just lacks that hook. It lacks the polish of some of the other, of its other contemporaries that, that keep me interested in wanting to come back to it. I, I don't care about this game at all. And I will have forgotten that we even talked about it by tomorrow. I will be playing it again tomorrow. I'm going to keep playing this game. There's something about this man. I, I'm going to get good at it. I'm going to keep playing. Well, speaking of good at it, how'd you do this week? I get a very round number, according to my screenshots. Like, this is a game where I guess all your scores are going to end in hundreds or or fifties. Um, but mine actually ends in around thousands. So I got 32,000 on the nose. 32,000. How'd you do, Mike? 
I got 28,500. I beat you. You did. And that's why you don't like the game. <laughs> Must be. And this, this uh, uh, you know, we've mentioned early 79, 78, 80 arcade games that have that tendency not to re over reward you for with points for, for doing well, you know, you tend to get 10, 20, 30 points. So, uh, as far as it's contemporaries, you, you're actually scoring a little bit higher, especially in, in the later levels, but you're still not looking at the tens of thousands and hundreds and you know, hundreds of millions of points that you see in later arcade games. So that's for me, it was just about the darn speed. It gets so fast yeah. that I would suddenly lose a bunch of tanks. I'd, I'd have, I'd get like a bonus tank. I get another bonus. tank. You got a few of them, but then I'd have like three and I would lose them all at once. Like it would get to a speed level that I just couldn't keep up with. So I, I kind of wish it would ramp up a little slower, but yeah, there's, there's a certain, uh, there is a certain appeal to having that, that, that I enjoy about games that sort of are frantic like that and they build you up into it. But like you said, it ramps up really quickly. And, and so you can be doing really well. And then within a period of, you know, a couple of minutes, lose everything. I think um, the problem as well is I, I couldn't let go of the idea that I wanted to sucker the tanks and let me <laughs> get up into the no man's land and shoot the reserve ones. And when it gets up fast enough, I think you're better off saying, OK, I'm going to stay down by the trees and just start plugging tanks and instead shoot them as they, they come over, like through the little holes in the, in the river. So I think if I was to change my strategy, I might get better at this. And I'm, and I'm going to keep trying. Well, I think that that's that goes back to what we were talking about, where this isn't just deterministic. The tanks are coming down, they turn, they fire. There's a feeling that, and I don't know how rudimentary uh, the AI actually is or is not, but there's you get the kind of a feeling that there's there's some intent there with the tanks. They are hunting you. They are trying to avoid your shots when you're shooting at them. I like the avoiding of the shots. Like you'll be, I'll be like shooting, 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 and there'll be a tank about to walk and it'll just sort of stop and hover and it won't go into <laughs> the path of my shots. And I like that though. I but do too. On, keep I, going, keep I, going. I do. Well, and I, and I think that that's one of the reasons I don't completely just despise this game. You love this game. <sighs> no, I don't love this game, but uh, having the, the idea that, that if I were to perfect my strategy and, and, and get better at it, I could continue to do better in the game. And that's kind of what keeps me coming back to, to games. Even ones that I don't necessarily like this won't, I don't think make it certainly won't make it to my main favorites list, but no. Oh, I went right into my main favorites uh, very actually early this week. Right away. I was like, yeah, I no, just right away. It was, it's, it's a, it's a kind of game. It's a pick up and play game. I'm like, yeah, I totally, totally went into my favorites, but there are so many other pick up and play games that are better than this. Eh. If I had <laughs> if I had a stack of quarters and and this and and Vegas Battle, sure I'd play this all day long. Um, oh yeah, but <laughs> I'd pay to not play Vegas Battle. Just take my quarters and let me leave. <laughs> uh, William Smith holds the current world record for this game, uh, and it's as, less than mine, right? So I'm the new world I'm record holder. Afraid not. No, oh. he actually did pretty well on this. In fact, I don't know how he got this good. Uh, Champau lists his. Uh, uh, score as 187,950 points. Now, I don't know how... Uh, Imagine can, how fast this game must be uh, going by the time you get up there. Holy yeah, There's got to be some secret or pattern that he's figured out there, or maybe he's just that much better than we are. Uh, Twin Galaxies, interestingly, did not list uh, a score for, for No Man's Land, which is odd because I think Champau's database is... Uh, basically came from Twin Galaxies. Well, so did he sure. get it? Maybe he got it when... Twin Galaxies was shut down. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't. This particular score doesn't have a date or a location or anything like that. So hard to say. Um, so yeah, maybe um, maybe next week will be better. Couldn't possibly be. <laughs> will it, Will it be Space Chickens? <laughs> uh, it will, and Space Chickens sounds like this. 
So thank you for tuning in, everyone. Um, we love the feedback. You mean listener, everyone? Listener, everyone. Citizen, <laughs> uh, citizen, listener. We we appreciate your feedback, and and um, we hope to see you next week. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Will it, will it be space chickens? <laughs> uh, it will, and space chickens sounds like this. <laughs> 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 <laughs>